There's another squad attacking. Welcome to the Third Party Podcast, your weekly Apex Legends podcast brought to you by Crossover Media. I'm your host, Shay, joined by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how is it going today? I'm very happy today. Mm-hmm. Uh, very exciting episode. Really can't wait to let you guys listen to it. Just an amazing interview. Such a great opportunity. Definitely. We're going to get to it quickly. Before we do, though, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to the YouTube channel, Third Party Podcast. We stream weekly, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Thursdays. This week, we're going to be taking the week off for Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holidays with your family. Uh, stay safe, everybody out there. Uh, and we'll be back the week after the next then. So today, we're thrilled to have on a senior game designer for Apex Legends to discuss legend balancing. Um, and we're going to be answering some listener questions at the end per usual. This is one we've been hoping to do for the longest time and to be able to have this come true is really awesome. And we hope that the community loves it before we throw it to the interview though. Let's dive into some reviews. First review is coming from Dylan. Hey, Henry and Shay. I just wanted to say thank you for putting out such detailed and exciting content so often. I just started listening to your podcast while at work and it gets me through the day quicker so I can hop on my favorite battle royale. Apex Legends. Thanks awesome. so much, Dylan. Thanks, That's Dylan. That's a new uh, patron as well, Dylan. So a big thank you for that. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, next review, five stars coming from Carefree G. I just started listening to the show about a week ago. So far, I really enjoy it. It's nice to know that people genuinely care and enjoy putting out good knowledge about this game and it's good for players that need advice. Just from listening to the past episodes, you can see how many players the both of you have helped. And to me, that's pretty awesome. Keep up the good work and you got a new listener in me. Love it. Happy to hear that. Thank you. It's good that uh, you're enjoying the show and that other people are getting something out of it, whether it's entertainment or maybe some advice. Mm -hmm. Last review for today coming from I Love Vrow. Your guy's last stream was awesome. I even got my comment called out. Of course. The stream's pretty pretty small. The stream's pretty small right now. So if you stop by, you'll definitely get to talk to us, ask all your questions and such. Uh, We enjoy it a lot. It's really just for fun at this point. It's awesome. Let's almost get to the interview. Two quick pieces of news to cover before we do that. So let's hit it real quick. First piece of news, though, is the Winter Express is returning, coming on December 1st until January 4th. One of Henry and I's absolute favorite modes of all time is making the return. We are beyond thrilled. We're going to be covering it in depth uh, when it actually releases in a podcast episode. Uh, But what are some of your thoughts maybe on the grand return? Very excited. This is an awesome game mode. They're coming out with some changes. Of mm-hmm. course, we'll get into those. A different respawn mechanic, an additional station, and uh, new loadouts this time mm-hmm. around. And we got an inside scoop with that uh, in our interview. So stay tuned. Definitely. Other piece of news that is pretty notable. We had the Black Friday sale launch yesterday uh, with the return of Airship Assassin. It's going to be in the store for one week. Uh, make sure you guys go check it out and get it before it is gone again. And who knows when it's coming back. What are your thoughts on the return of some of these rare skins to the store? It's a big deal. You know, this is going to be a pretty exciting holiday. Uh, for those of you looking to pick up a pretty cool skin, mm-hmm. Airship Assassin, I was surprised that it's the first one coming back, but I guess it's in the, in the Black Friday week. So should be pretty cool. We'll see how many people pick it up. No doubt about it. Now what you have all been waiting for and what we've been waiting for as well. We're going to throw it to our interview with Daniel Klein. Let's get it. 
Have you ever asked yourself how you balance an artillery strike with a launch pad? It seems like a pretty tall task, but to us it's one that's absolutely crucial to the health of Apex Legends. We look forward to the balancing and legend changes every season and are happy to say that we feel Apex is in the very best state it's ever been in terms of balancing. We're so excited and thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with the developer here on the third party. This has been a goal of ours since the beginning to share the inner workings of Apex to our amazing community. But without further ado, let's introduce an absolute legend behind the legends. Now on the Apex Legends team for nearly a year now, a senior game designer with the vice president of Barks, Kaylee, by his side, Daniel Klein. Welcome to the show. Unfortunately, the vice president is uh, chasing squirrels outside at this moment. It's an important duty that she has. Hey, yeah, she's got to good. fulfill her role. Everybody's got their job around here, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Let's get rolling now with some questions then. Perfect. So to just start it off, uh, we'd like for you to tell us a bit about yourself as a gamer mm. and your career creating characters in video games. How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> hey, however um, long you want to go. Well, <laughs> I, I'll start with where I'm coming from. As you can hear, this is a, a bit of a German accent going on here. I'm not doing a Bond villain <laughs> impression. This is what I sound like. I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Germany in a, a little place called the Saarland. Um, and I think I have been. I would. I would have caught myself a gamer at age six, probably. Like that's that's how early I got started. Uh, nice. And I knew from the earliest uh, age that I wanted to be in video games. I just knew. Like you could have asked me at that time, and I was like, I want to make video games. <laughs> and I got lucky enough to do it. Um, specifically in Germany and uh, in well, the late nineties, early two thousands, when I went to university. I didn't really know what I was doing. I studied computer science because that seemed to make sense. I didn't really have anyone to talk to. And mm -hmm. God, I'm I'm so glad that it's different these days. So if you want advice on what to do uh, to become a game designer, please come talk to me on Twitter and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. help you not make the mistakes that I made. Uh, you do not need to study computer science to be a game designer. <laughs> it's helpful. Absolutely. It's a superpower. <laughs> if you can write your own code, that's great. But you absolutely don't have to. And if, like me, you're really bad at math um, and you think <laughs> that because of that you will never have a career in games, you are wrong. <laughs> and there's other ways of doing things. Well, um, I sort of like took an entry-level job in uh, video games in oof, 2007. Um just because I, my, my girlfriend at the time really didn't enjoy living in uh, Germany, wanted to move to Ireland. I was like, yeah, Ireland, that sounds fun. <laughs> um, so I just basically applied to some entry-level customer service stuff and video games. Mm -hmm. um, ended up working customer support on a brilliant game called Warhammer Online, Age of Reckoning. Uh, that mm -hmm. was a really mm -hmm. fun MMO. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite as successful as we would have liked. Uh, <laughs> and from there... I, I, I almost want to say a pretty standard uh, path. You stumble kind of like from whatever entry-level position you could get. In my case, there was customer service into generally QA tends to be the next step. Um, and then I became a QA lead uh, on um, Warhammer Online and a little game called uh, League of Legends, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, it turned out was quite successful. Um, <laughs> then uh, Riot took the contract back to publish League themselves in Europe. I was with the company that had been distributing the game until then, and they'd not been doing a great job. <laughs> My favorite anecdotes is that Leak, a very, very multiplayer game, as you know, is kind of important to be able to talk to your team. Um, 
didn't have text chat for two months because the text chat service in Paris crashed and I'm not making this up, the engineers did not want to talk to their American counterparts. They were like, wow. what kind of, we can figure this out ourselves. Oh so my. no text chat for two months. So anyway, I uh, went over to Riot when they took over, um, but they didn't need QA in, in Europe. They were running QA out of Los Angeles. So I literally just looked at what do you need? Community? Sure. No idea what community management is. I'll do it. Um, yeah, so that was the next step in my illustrious and very well planned out career. As you can see. <laughs> then I became a shoutcaster for two years. Again, no previous experience. Just uh, was at a, a Gamescom. Uh, somebody handed me a microphone. I was like, yes, I like <laughs> the sound of my own voice. So I can do this. Um, <laughs> I casted the Season 1 World Championships uh, of League of Legends very poorly, uh, mostly carried by my co-caster, Rivington, who is an amazing uh, caster. Uh, and then after that, the VP of Game Design literally wrote me an email saying, are you interested in a design position? So stumbling ass backwards into my dream job is pretty much the description <laughs> of my, my career. And I said, yes, absolutely. I mm -hmm. don't know what what a designer does but I will do it uh, and it turns out uh, I really enjoyed doing what a designer does it's it's the perfect job for me and yeah that was god nearly 10 years ago now uh, so yeah and I've been a game designer ever since then uh, first at League of Legends for quite a while uh, then I was at a small company nobody knows named Magnopus here in Los Angeles and more recently as of January 2020 I'm with Respawn. That is awesome. What a freaking yeah. journey that has been. <laughs> That's one of the best stories I think we've had so far of an interview, at least. It's um, not very useful for people trying to emulate me, because <laughs> um, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, man. We love it, though. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, speaking a little bit to now kind of the role with uh, Respawn, as a mm -hmm. senior game designer for Apex, what are your responsibilities kind of and your major roles uh, on the team? It's not as structured as that. It's basically mm -hmm. you do whatever you're interested in, whatever you think is a good thing for the game, um, and you grab those responsibilities that are most appealing to you. There's some people who are who are more or less focused on making characters, and I made a character as well that will come out in oh god, don't know when, sometime next year. <laughs> Love uh, we it. We can talk about that when whenever that happens. <laughs> Sounds um, good. <laughs> I think season nine, yeah, probably season nine. Don't want to overpromise anything, but yeah, <laughs> we, we could talk. We could talk about it then. But um, that wasn't uh, enough to keep me busy. So I realized that nobody was really working on legend balance. It was more like patch to patch. Whoever felt inspired grabbed a task or two and just said like, oh, I think we should just give Gibraltar some more stuff, right? <laughs> um, which honestly, I'm I, I was impressed with how. Um, smoothly the game ran considering that there wasn't uh, one person or a team in charge of balance um, I identified that as something that you know I have experience with and I could pretty easily do so I just grabbed that responsibility for myself so my main responsibility at this moment other than um, helping some of the other designers on our team level up is keeping the legend meta balanced and interesting and more or less fair I have a character that I'm also working away on and other small stuff that basically comes up. Whenever, whenever something comes up, nobody else grabs it. I, I'll, I'll grab it. I 
did small things like you know the the, the Phoenix Kid voiceover hookup or the enemy uh, reviving voiceover hookup. It's just like there's a task lying around and you grab it. So it is not as structured structured as you would think. We have a pretty small design team and people just do whatever they're good at. That's awesome. That's really exciting. We think you have a very uh, exciting role, and that's interesting to hear a, a bit more about the structure. Uh, I know this is going to be kind of a hard question, but mm. if you were to pick uh, one thing or maybe a few things, uh, what is your favorite part of your job? Hmm. I think it's the first time that anyone plays with something new that I had a hand in creating. That that just like when when a new character used to come out that I worked on uh, at Leak. I would just stay up all night and watch streams of people playing the new character because there's something there's something magical about seeing people enjoy something that you dedicated the last nine months or however many of your life to mm-hmm. and seeing the joy and seeing them figure things out or get frustrated and then figure it out. Um, that is, I think, the most exciting thing to me. There hasn't really been anything... A major that I've made for Apex yet that I've had that pleasure with, but mm. um, I really enjoy looking at how people deal with uh, things that the entire team came up with. Obviously, I've been very excited to um, to look at stuff like the Loba Unlimited Ammo Change. That was mm-hmm. one where that might have blown up in my face, right? Like there's no <laughs> way of telling. It seems to have been okay so far. Knock on We're wood. loving that one so far. Yeah, knock on some wood for sure. <laughs> yeah, just watching that was really cool. I have had a very, very small part in um, the return of Winter Express, the uh, weapon loadouts that you'll see. They'll be uh, rotating just like last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual loadouts, I didn't think they were great. They were a little arbitrary, so I reauthored them. I think there's uh, there's one that's spicy that I'm getting a lot of pushback, but <laughs> I decided to put just a little spice in there. There may be a, there may be a Devo with a turbocharger in one of the loadouts. We'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll, yes. We may have to hot patch it, but we'll we'll see. A little bit of fun is good. So a little bit of spice is good sometimes. Definitely. Oh man, Winter Express. That's a that's one of our favorite LTMs of all I love time. It. I so good. Love it. Um, let's do. Let's talk about some of the legends now, and kind of. I think we have one question written out for each one, mm-hmm. and. We'll try and go through these, but we'll start with Mirage, you know, a fan favorite, very mm-hmm. lovable legend for a lot of people and for us specifically. He's a big, we're a big fan. We're curious if you can speak a bit to the state of Mirage and perhaps discuss if he's in his ideal state of balancing. And if not, what are some of the steps maybe to get him there? Yeah, I don't know that um, anyone legend can ever be in an ideal state of balancing right? mm-hmm. it's a it's a complex ecosystem that influence each legend influences uh, all the other legends and they're never really done done there's always going to be more work to do mm-hmm. i think I've, I've spoken about mirage on reddit before there's a vo- very no actually in a, might have been in the patch notes there's a very I think unique the dev stream maybe as well that's right mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. i mentioned in the dev stream the unique challenge about Mirage is that he is an um, information game character. Mm-hmm. So, in uh, unlike in chess, in Apex Legends, we have what is called an imperfect information game. So, you do not have perfect information about the state of the game. Um, and any character that hooks into information either gathers more information for you or negatively affects what information the enemy has. I call that an information game character. Uh, Mirage is the strongest example of like negatively affecting the enemy's information game, right? By 
faking them out by bamboozling them. Um, mm-hmm. The problem with that specifically is that it's a much, much softer way of affecting the information game than, for instance, uh, Bangalore Smoke, right? Mm-hmm. Bangalore Smoke is also an information game ability. You can't see, see through it, so you don't know what's going on on the other side. Um, but Mirage, you can learn to detect uh, clones by mm-hmm. picking up on patterns of like, oh, people don't move like this, right? People don't just... Uh, walk into a wall and keep walking into a wall uh, <laughs> or what i often see that, that that makes my heart break is when a mirage pl- pulls off a perfect ultimate and then they climb up on a piece of geo yeah well it's gonna be the one mirage that climbed up mm-hmm. is the real one mm-hmm. i'm sorry you gave the game away um the challenge is that the rest of the game everybody else who plays epics legends can learn to get better Mm-hmm. detecting mirage uh, clones so any buff that we do is always fleeting because mm. eventually people learn it start playing around it and the power goes away you can't play around um bangalore smoke other than having a digi threat or like i don't know peppering the area with bullets and then trying mm-hmm. to follow the damage markers right but you can't really learn to uh, see through the smoke you can mm-hmm. learn to see through uh, mirage uh, decoys Very so interesting I'm looking at his um, data right now. He seems very healthy uh, across the uh, across all skill buckets. He's in the pretty much the middle of the pack in in terms of win rates. He has a pretty healthy pick rate. People like playing as him. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, he does fall off as you go into higher uh, skill levels, as you would expect, but not mm-hmm. massively so. Uh, and I don't think he's ever going to be picked at the ALGS, but that's fine by me as well. Right? Like awesome. That shouldn't be our goal, to, to have every character be competitively viable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good. That's nice to hear. Uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Caustic now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pretty interesting legend because his entire kit is based around gas. And I think, I know it's early, but we kind of just wanted to know what your thoughts on the recent change to that gas and the damage and now the lack of blurring vision and how that's affecting his usage in the game. Yeah, Caustic is a very interesting case because generally what we try to do when we make changes to Legends is we try to find a consensus between what the data tells us and what our own intuition and just like subjective judgment tell us. Um, Mm -hmm. But looking at the data for Caustic, there was no way we should have uh, nerfed Caustic, right? Like mm-hmm. Caustic wasn't doing great. He was uh, pretty low in, in terms of win rate. So why did we still take something away that clearly gave him some amount of power? Well, sometimes the amount of frustration that an ability causes is so big that we need to drop it from the game no matter what it does to the balance state of a character. Right. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I think the thing that the um, the gas attacked was the fact that just your ability to understand what's going on in the game because of that blur, there wasn't really any way to compensate for it other than you know moving out of the gas. So it felt really, really bad. It, it felt like somebody was twisting your arm while you were playing the game. There was nothing you could do to get better at it. And people hated playing against one of the weakest legends in the game, right? Like, mm-hmm. that combination tells you that something is wrong here. Now, as it turns out, the changes we made to him where we dropped the vision blur ended up being a buff to him. Mm-hmm. I, I would say a it was a buff of about, let me see, I think it was about a percent in... Uh, 
in encounter win rate, point point one or point two in total mm-hmm. win rate. So total win rate is uh, the goal is five percent, right? Like one in twenty teams wins the game. That's five percent, mm-hmm. and our spread is my plus minus zero point seven percent. So Wraith is at five point seven percent. Rampart is at four point three percent. Interesting. And he went up by point one or point two percent, which is a meaningful mm-hmm. change, right? And the theory there is that as much as it hurt him to no longer have enemies be uh, affected by the blur, it unlocks his team that his own allies aren't affected by the blur anymore. You can now run through friendly caustic gas and still see perfectly well. Plus, the damage uh, the damage change, I think, as small as it is, right? it's two damage more per second. Um, mm-hmm. That is still a meaningful change. Your total time to die from full health goes from 13 seconds down to 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that is still, I, I would say, uh, a meaningful power up. And data seems to bear this out. The win rate went, uh, sorry, the pick rate went down a little bit, but it's hard to tell if that's because of the change or because a new character is released. Whenever a new mm-hmm. character is released, everybody else's win rate mm-hmm. uh, goes down somewhat, right? It's a zero-sum game. There's only so many people playing the game. A new character comes in like Horizon at like a 30% pick rate. That's got to come from somewhere, and generally it comes from everyone. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I We love hearing the numbers. We like to dive into everything on the show from the numbers perspective, With the, at least from what we can at least uh, get right. from the right. public information. Uh, it's so interesting. Let's talk a little bit now about another defensive legend who's very unique in Watson. Uh, mm-hmm. She's super unique. Her kit leans heavily towards that ranked and competitive play. And you guys just made the change to supposedly try and make her a little bit better in the public and the lower level lobbies. Can you maybe speak a bit, though, to the challenges of balancing a legend whose kit is like geared towards just one specific kind of playlist and aspect of the game? Yeah. I don't know if that was the intention. I wasn't around when oh, okay. Watson was made. Um, but that's definitely how it manifests right mm-hmm. now. Um, Watson is a very strange character. She has the fourth highest win rate across the board mm-hmm. in all skill buckets. So she is very, very powerful. But she also has the lowest pick rate in almost every skill bucket, including the plat- plat- Platinum Plus pick rate. I think... Yeah, Rampart is just barely below her right now in Plat Plus. Uh, Rampart is above her in gold, bronze, and silver. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the fun thing. At a, at the bronze and silver uh, skill bucket, her pick rate is about 2%. In Plat Plus, it's 1.4%. So it goes down with, as you go up Interesting. in skill, which is the opposite of what you would expect. So mm-hmm. there isn't a linear progression from lowest skill to ALGS. There is a, I would say, mostly flat pick rate across all the uh, game modes in the normal game. And then there's this entirely different game that you play if you play in the ALGS, right? Mm -hmm. You almost don't play Apex Legends. You play this this (laughs) other game in which she is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Because even if you watch streams and you see people in uh, Predator ranked games, they don't play like the pros at Mm -hmm. all. They -hmm. still W key. They still go for those kill points. Um... And they don't, like, pick a house and hold it for 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what the ALGS level play looks like. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that she would be, I think she's the second most picked in in pro. So she goes from least picked to second most picked as you switch between the normal game and the pro game. 
it's hard to do make any changes to her because as much as I uh, recognize that we have two different games on our hands here, mm -hmm. it is the same balance points, right? Yeah. So if I did any changes to her that made her more uh, picked or more powerful in normal play, I might just ruin pro play completely mm -hmm. because she's mm -hmm. already so dominant there. So That's at the moment, balance. yeah, at the moment I'm just I don't think I'll do much more to her. Um, she is an extreme niche character, and I would love to get her pick rate up, but not at the cost of ruining the pro game. Definitely. Excellent answer. I think we're <laughs> both satisfied with that. She's a challenge. She really is. Mm -hmm. um, now, one pillar of Battle Royales and Apex Legends that we have observed is that versatility equals power. And this is why I personally gravitate towards Gibraltar, because I think his abilities are really effective in a wide range of situations. Uh, do you think that versatility equals legend power? It depends. Um, there's a type of versatility that isn't rewarded in the game. So, for instance, um, Loba has loot versatility, right? Mm -hmm. Like, So she does a bunch of things, but she has a repositioning thing. She has a an overall just like let's... Uh, let's loot faster slash let's land more correctly near where the purple armor is whatever ability um, and she gives her allies the chance to loot faster but it turns out that isn't really that important compared to like I don't know being able to face out of combat or yeah. suddenly have a gravity lift that flings you <laughs> up into the air um, there are certain so I like to think of it in terms of questions and answers uh, characters provide answers to many different questions but some questions just aren't asked as often or aren't as important. The question of how do I get out of a sticky situation is asked almost every single game. Mm -hmm. And if you have a strong answer for that, you will be a strong character. The question of how do I get my loadout together one minute faster than everybody else in the server very often isn't even relevant. Mm -hmm. Or a question of uh, how do I, I don't know, get a few more healing items and maybe a scope for my teammates, right? Like something like Lifeline Ultimate. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like, sometimes that's relevant. Most of the time, though, not really, right? And you could go into a fight better kitted than the enemy and still lose because the enemy had, I don't know, a Gibraltar Dome or mm -hmm. Caustic Gas or Grappling Hook, right? Because they could bring power to bear in the moment versus other people who could only bring power to bear in the setup. Um, mm. So versatility, if it answers in-combat questions, is huge, absolutely. You can have a one-note character and have them be like super strong, right? Like that's, that's also absolutely a thing. You could just have a character that has escapes on all three buttons uh, <laughs> and they would be pretty strong and not necessarily versatile, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but so I think that the, the thing to keep in mind there is in what area of the game are you good and do you bring enough answers for combat awesome love that that's a really good way to phrase it i think the questions and answers really makes a lot of sense um maybe you could speak a little bit about the changes in season six to uh, gibraltar and bangalore's ultimate cooldown and how they mm -hmm. kind of got flopped uh, what went into that decision and was there any meaningful outcome it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing. It was just like, hey, turns out uh, those two ultimates are very, very similar to each other, but Gibraltar is clearly the more powerful one, but he has the shorter cooldown. You know what? Let's just flip him. Mm -hmm. right? That was like, 
I, I think somebody maybe spent 10 minutes on that change <laughs> and they ran it past me and I was like, yeah, yeah, Let's do it. sounds good. Let's yeah. just do that. Um, no, there is no noticeable impact on the data, but also it's because um, these changes happen when a new season rolls around, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much noise in the data when a new season comes around. It's very, very hard to attribute anything to an individual change. I think the game is better off for it. Um, mm-hmm. With the six-second delay on bang out, I now feel like I don't feel stupid for tossing it out anymore sometimes it actually does something <laughs> or it at least it, it at least means that people actually have to run out of the area previously mm-hmm. it's like oh here's a bangler ultimate let me put a reminder in my calendar to get out of there next week um <laughs> I, I i felt very frustrated at how conservatively tuned that was but honestly it was just like it was the best guess of the designer when they made the character and then I guess just nobody looked at it because mm-hmm. it, it wasn't anybody's job to to look at it until I made it my job and was like yeah you know what we should just do this but also Bangalore had been sitting for a long time she's she's like to me she is the bar in terms of like what a balanced healthy character should look mm-hmm. like in the game the fact that her ultimate had been underwhelming for the longest time at four and a half minute cooldown and eight second delay um, didn't even bother Bangalore players, right? Like, because you play Bangalore for the smoke in the past. Mm-hmm. That's that's why you pick her. But I thought it would probably not hurt to make that ultimate a little bit more viable. Awesome. Speaking of Bangalore, uh, a question we get from new players a lot of the times is they're looking for a starter legend for mm-hmm. the first time they pick. And one we like to recommend is Bangalore, just because of the straightforward balance kit, kind of like you were talking about. Uh, but still has the high skill ceiling and can be really, really good at high levels. Do you think there is a legend that is best for beginners or a couple that are maybe considered starter legends at all? Um, I have the the intuitive designer answer and the cynical data answer for you. <laughs> um, the intuitive designer answer is yes, um, Bangalore seems like an ideal starter legend. Maybe Bloodhound, just because... Uh, even even bad scans tell you something and you just get a better idea of how people move in combat by just ba- bloodhound scanning on cooldown. The cynical answer is the best starter legend is Wraith because mm. the more likely you are to attach to the first legend you play, the more likely you are to keep playing Apex for a very long time and Wraith has the highest attachment rate, right? Like people play Wraith mm. and they just want to keep playing Wraith, which means if it's your first legend, you will want to keep playing apex so that's the cynical answer interesting that's very yeah. very cool i like that answer that's a, a really cool perspective on that um next revenant has a very powerful kit um and we've seen you speak a little bit about revenant uh, on twitter his tactical and his ultimate have a lot of potential power um although his ultimate requires a high level of team coordination um when it's used at its best it does feel uh, overwhelming but I guess our question is, how do you balance an ultimate that requires such a high level of coordination? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the the classic cat herding problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if it ever works out, it tends to be extremely powerful. It, ha- it, it so happens that our game has a very good um, smart ping system mm-hmm. and an automatic chat system where characters do voice callouts even without you having to ping anything. 
which I think we benefit from massively when it comes to coordination abilities like Revenant's Ultimate. Um, we don't necessarily see a huge problem anymore with people coordinating around Revenant Ultimate. It seems to work at all skill levels at least to some degree. Generally when you have an ability that is hard to coordinate around, you associate the character with that ability with a win rate that goes up by skill because in general the more you go up in skill the more coordinated people are so I would expect something like a horizon alt to be an ability that goes up as you go up in, in skill um, for Revenant however the, the thing that, that um, confuses the hell out of me is that he is consistently one of the weakest legends in the game right now I'm just looking at win rates so this is just your chance of uh, Winning a um, normal mm -hmm. PR. Um, Rampart is at 4.3% and Revenant is at 4.4%. Wow. And then there's this really big gap, and then with uh, Loba at 4.8%, the rest of the pack starts. And then everybody else is like 0.1 or 0.08% from each other. Like they're mm -hmm. all very tightly grouped. You just have these two outliers in Rampart and Revenant all the way at the bottom. And I feel I understand the problem space of Rampart. I know how to buff Rampart. There's, mm -hmm. there's stuff coming. Um, I don't feel I understand the problem space of Revenant, hence my asking on Twitter as well. Um, <laughs> hey, Twitter's because... a valuable place, guys, if you're listening. Just give give Daniel a follow if you want the inside information. <laughs> you, uh, you often get the same answer a hundred times because nobody bothers to check what anybody else has said before. So thank you to the approximately 300 people who said he should be able to climb higher. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, yeah, valid feedback. Mm -hmm. I, I got it a lot. I heard, I heard that. I don't know that it will make any change to his win rate at all, by the way. Mm -hmm. You may enjoy doing it, but I don't think it'll actually help you win games. Um, unless we get like super, super degenerate and let you climb to like unreachable <laughs> places, right? Like which obviously we wouldn't do. Yeah, Revenant so, can't go out of bounds. Maybe that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Now he's breaking some rules. Yeah, I, I don't know that there is an individual ability on his kit that... Um, that suffers from a problem I can identify. I think this kit as a whole probably comes with just as many downsides as it does upsides. Mm -hmm. um, and um, his tactical is on my very short list of abilities that I would really like to take a, a swipe at in terms of the frustration that they cause. Mm -hmm. It was right alongside Caustic Gas Blur until we fix that because 20 seconds of silence mm -hmm. my it's, it's god incredible. That's, yeah that's and it's 20 seconds of like you are frustrated as the character that got silenced mm -hmm. you want to do a thing you're, you're mashing your buttons and nothing happens right revenant doesn't get satisfaction right like when you land a craver headshot from half the game away and you kill someone mm -hmm. sure that's frustrating to them i got killed from out of nowhere but the satisfaction that mm -hmm. you feel is so much higher it's like if you look <laughs> at the utility function of total fun in the game if you want to think about it that way headshots from something like a craver should it should be commonplace mm -hmm. but they're good for the game because that's a highlight that's a moment that the person who landed that shot is never going to forget and for each headshot you land there's 10 situations where you give your position away, miss every single crater mm -hmm. shot, and then get killed. Right? <laughs> so 
I, I think I'm okay with that mechanic, but something like a silence, really frustrating for the person on the receiving end, and me as the revenant, do I even know that the silence affected them? I mean, I see the, I see the effect on them, but why didn't that Pathfinder grapple away from me? Was mm -hmm. it because A, he was silenced, B, because his grapple was on cooldown, C, because he made the judgment call that it wasn't safe to use his grapple right now, D, because he didn't think about it and got panicked, right? Like, mm -hmm. I cannot attribute something good that happened in the game, which is me shooting Pathfinder without him grappling away, to my silence. So I don't get satisfaction from hitting the silence, while the enemy gets a lot of frustration. So I always look out for abilities that have this mismatch and I try to bring them in. In this case, I don't know what uh, I know what to do, <laughs> but it's too spicy for the game. So I'm a <laughs> I have a I have a bit of a reputation as a chaos lord uh, at respawn because you know I've I've made I've made characters for competitive video games for a very long time now mm -hmm. and I look for the spice in my designs. Um, so I I have spicy ideas what to put on that effect that would make you feel very satisfied to use it, but. <laughs> People are restraining me physically from putting it into the game. So. <laughs> well, we love that. Maybe we'll see some spice eventually if things continue uh, on the path we're on. But that is so fascinating. It seems like a very interesting yeah. and hard dilemma to kind of sort through. And I don't think a lot of people get to understand and see how much thought and process goes into stuff like that as well, which is really nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about Loba now. Uh, mm -hmm great amazing place as a looter it seems like you know we have yeah. felt that that ammo buff to her ultimate has been impactful but not destructive in any way so far at least from our hours of playing do you have any it seemed like you're a little nervous about this one on the dev stream and you mentioned it earlier do you have any initial reactions though to seeing the change actually go live yeah um i think the biggest thing about it that i really really enjoyed is that by taking the decision to take ammo or not take ammo entirely out of this decision space, we unlocked the rest of the ultimate. Mm -hmm. The rest of the ultimate became a lot more like what it was intended to be, which is this free form, I can grab whatever loot I need thing. Um, and I'm very happy with that. Because sometimes like if you're out of ammo, you have no other option. You have to go and use the ultimate for ammo mm -hmm. and that was very very sad previously when people you know like uh, maybe you saw the perfect uh, i don't know uh, level three heavy magazine for your uh, flatline mm -hmm. but you couldn't take it because you had 10 heavy bullets left so you had to use both of your slots on ammo just taking that out of the decision space just saying take as much ammo as you want don't worry about it it doesn't even count um suddenly made the ultimate way more interesting. I have definitely been enjoying uh, her on life a lot. I am a loot uh, goblin, so <laughs> I I really enjoy uh, the, the loot game, and then I, you know, fail to do anything with it. But, you know, it's fine. Um, I think it's, it's, it's landed about as well as it could have. The thing that just, like, again, completely confuses me is that I look at um, the way that her win rate behaved when we shipped this, and I mentioned this on on Reddit as well, there was an initial spike from 4.6 to 5.2% win rate. So that's, wow. a, that's a huge spike. And now she's back at 4.8 and okay. uh, falling. Like, I don't know why so many of the balance changes that we make in this game are so ephemeral. 
mm-hmm. you affect the balance of the game for two weeks, it seems like, and then everything returns to normal. Um, and I don't understand why that is. Yeah, that seems like a pretty tough uh, challenge to deal with in some ways. I know there's a lot of people and a lot of public opinion talking about a lot about her tactical. And mm-hmm. we think it's really interesting because as a support legend, she's the only kind of support legend that has some sort of mobility ability with her. What role do you consider it to play in her kit? Because I think a lot of people were hoping it was going to be that attack or escape. And we've felt, and it sounds like you mentioned maybe it being a bit more of a repositioning kind of ability. I think it's almost a little bit dangling in her kit. I don't want to like badmouth anyone who worked on the kit, but um, (laughs) there there are ways that you can say like, oh, okay. I could use this to safely get from one building to another mm-hmm. as I want to loot. I don't have to expose myself to bullets as I run out across the open. But that's not a that's not a question that is often asked. Mm-hmm. Right? To come back to the question and answer framework, um, the question that is asked is how do I get out of a situation where people are shooting at me, or how do I approach these people so that I can shoot at them before they realize where I am? Mm-hmm. Um, those are the real questions that we don't give you answers to with her kit because her tactical doesn't do either of these things. We have to be very careful with mobility uh, abilities in mm-hmm. our game because combat readability is king. Understanding where everybody is and where they can move to is, I think, what sets Apex apart from Titanfall. Right? Like Titan, The Titanfalls were very good games, mm-hmm. but you would play them and you would burn out on them pretty quickly because they're just pure adrenaline, speed, speed, speed. You don't understand what's going on. Suddenly there's an enemy coming from this way, that <laughs> way. Um, and uh, you burn out on that. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful not to make the same, um, not fall into the same trap in uh, in, in Apex Legends. Um, so I'm careful with uh, mobility abilities. I think there's some room in Lobos Tactical to give her a little bit more power there without stepping over that line. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely something we can get to, but I wanted to attack the the team loot game first. Mm -hmm. I think you did that really, really well, I will say. Yeah, we'll see see how it goes in a couple of weeks if nobody uh, has any success with her again. I I, I don't know what's going on. Now, we get a lot of questions about Lifeline and mm-hmm. specifically her passive in terms of its power. Uh, now, we think personally that her passive is in a fair state and allows her to fulfill the role of a medic and a strong healer in a game where it's really difficult to get a reset when things go bad. But since the change in Season 5, has the data shown that she's in a good place or should we expect some changes? She's in a very good place. She, If anything, she's a little too powerful now, so if we wanted to nerf her, we could do that. Mm-hmm. But, like, Wraith is still, like, ten times as powerful <laughs> as her. So let's let's attack that first. Um, um, she went up both in pick rate and in win rate, which is always a good combination. If somebody goes up in, in win rate, but... Uh, sorry, up in pick rate, but down in win rate... That means that they previously had mostly experts playing, mm-hmm. and now that the general population plays them, they're less powerful. Mm. Lifeline, I think, is simple enough to understand that you can pick her up and have reasonable success. Um, I would defend the passive by saying it's the only answer to an in-combat question, mm-hmm. kit. Right? The 
tactical doesn't help you in combat and the ultimate certainly doesn't help you in combat um, these are both things that either set you up for combat or help you recover from combat um, it's important that somebody who is positioned as a combat medic has a really powerful trump card basically something that only they can do that particularly because it is associated with one of your allies being down I think can have a little bit more power than you would otherwise put mm -hmm. into a passive. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's something we talk about a lot. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that one up for sure. Uh, let's talk a little Bloodhound. You know, it seems that you and the team have been focused on adding some power to Bloodhound over the last couple of seasons, and we love where they're at right now. Um, mm -hmm. We really value information and our games and such, and we think that Bloodhound's you know, great at getting the teams in the best position to you know pick off isolated enemies and all that kind of stuff. I, but Intel Legends are very unique, I think, in this game. And is there a different way in which you have to look at them and for balancing Intel-based yeah. or Recon Legends? And are there different metrics maybe that you have to look at or adjust to just for maybe that class specifically? I don't think they're different metrics. You will look at the same signals and mm -hmm. try to make sense of them. Um, I think there's an interesting balance with something like a Bloodhound that basically gives you a short-duration wall hack, right? Because... It is good to give you additional understand, to give both sides additional information about the game. Make the imperfect information game slightly more perfect, right, for at least a short time. Both Bloodhound's team with the scans and the enemy teams with the direction that the pulse travels through them get that sort of like understanding of uh, a little bit more about wh what's going on in combat. Mm -hmm. You don't want to push that too far. Once a situation becomes overly solved and you know exactly what everyone's doing, it again comes down purely to reaction time and pre-firing and mm -hmm. stuff like that, which isn't too too interesting. So I think uh, I swung a little far with the initial buff to the ultimate, where it was basically a two-second downtime on perfect information, uh, four seconds uptime of scan versus two seconds waiting until the next scan could come out. Mm -hmm. um, now it's 4-4, four, four, so four seconds up, four seconds down, which I think is a pretty good balance. Um, I, have an, I have an interesting challenge on my hands with uh, Bloodhound because they have... They have a great pick rate. It is currently the second highest pick rate in the game. Mm. Now that Horizon is uh, starting to settle into her place, wow. which is pro looks like probably going to be fourth or fifth highest. Um, so Bloodhound, second highest, it's Wraith Bloodhound right now. Wraith awesome. Bloodhound, Horizon, Octane, and then Lifeline. That's that's the pick uh, order right wow, now. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Octane is always super, super high, right? Like, Octane doesn't win a lot of games, mm -hmm. but he's one of the most fun legends to play in the game by far, just because going fast yeah. is, is fun. Fast is um, fun. <laughs> fast is fun. Um, I think with Bloodhound, we have an interesting situation there because while their pick rate is this high, their win rate isn't great, and their encounter win rate, which I'll explain in a second, is the lowest. So, mm -hmm. encounter win rate is a very, very simple formula. We look at all games played across both ranks, ranked and play Apex, and we calculate... Let me actually get the precise definition here of encounter win rate. Okay. So, we it is the number of downs, which is how many times you score a knockdown, mm -hmm. divided by the times that you are downed plus the number uh, the, of the number of downs you score so it you you end up with a sort of like a a ratio that if 
those two are numbers are the same, you end up at one half or fifty percent. So if you get a hundred downs, if you score a hundred downs and you're downed a hundred times, you're at a fifty percent encounter win rate, right? Mm. And that's all we look at. That's very very stupid data. Stupid data is good, <laughs> right? Because the more that you try to put uh, assumptions and interpretation into how you gather your data, the more traps you place for yourself to to read a false positive out of your data. So try to keep your data as simple and as stupid as possible. So just like this number is, uh, you cannot you cannot argue with that number, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you just get one integer, that's how many times a legend named Bloodhound was downed. You get another integer, how many times they scored it down, and you do the very, very simple math, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we look at that, Bloodhound has the lowest encounter win rate in the entire game. Uh, and I'm just, I don't understand because they they are not they're not great at winning games either they're they're lowish but not that low um which suggests to me that they have more team utility than than selfish power mm. uh, and that's just like to me that's that's, that's mind blowing because <laughs> yeah the, the ultimate gives them so much information between the the red highlights mm-hmm. and the, the the scan pulses the only explanation that I can grasp at here is that they give away a lot of their position by scanning repeatedly, and that's what does it. But eh, I, I, I honestly don't know. And that's one of those situations where this is one of the things that I've learned as I, uh, as I traveled along in my career, saying we don't know is a valid answer mm-hmm. a lot of the time. You don't have to jump to an explanation. If there isn't one, there isn't one. And sometimes that's just how it is. Interesting. Definitely. Wow. That was an awesome little little part there of the <laughs> interview. I'm really impressed by a lot of that stuff. I I kind of view Bloodhound as a legend that sets up their teammates. Like mm-hmm. I'll set them up, you knock them down. So I wonder if there's any metrics uh to like assists for Bloodhound in terms of that uh, encounter rate. We don't look at assists because it's a little arbitrary who gets the the, the last kill mm-hmm. in there, right? I also, I I should double check to make sure uh, that scanning gives you assists. I I, I almost certainly does, right? Doesn't rank yeah. at least. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, that should be the same logic. Um, uh, we don't look at that, but we look at the difference between the encounter win rate and the trios win rate. That is the signal to us mm. in terms of how much they set up the team. Um, so that Got was it. the. That was the main reason why I uh, attacked Loba's ultimate rather than her tactical, mm-hmm. because her encounter win rate was higher than her trio's win rate, and that was just a upside down world thing to me. Mm-hmm. Now it's in the other direction, <laughs> it, although it may have dropped enough again that it's back to square one. But anyway, right after the change <laughs> went live, her trio's win rate became markedly higher than her uh, encounter win rate, mm-hmm. which is good somebody that gives your entire team loot should have a higher trio swing rate, right? Like the fact that not just you are kitted, but everybody in your team is kitted should make you more likely to win games. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Now, Crypto has a very powerful drone at this mm-hmm. time. Uh, it has a good amount of health, a laundry list of very useful abilities. But that being said, all of Crypto's power is concentrated in mm-hmm. his drone. And without it, he has no abilities. And if it's destroyed, he doesn't have a drone for 40 seconds. 40 seconds so yeah. can you speak to how you approach balancing a legend that has many abilities locked into one? Yeah. 
the fact that it is such a sharp design where it's all or nothing uh, allowed us to make wild swings like the instant respawn or the instant survey beacon scan. I don't think we could have done that on a legend that had baseline power mm -hmm. on the kit without the drone. Maybe we could have. Actually, I, I, I don't know that, but I would have felt less uh, certain about trying it. Um, it's how crypto was set up, and I think there is something really healthy to it in terms of... Um, this will sound bad, but making you eat your greens, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, the way you're supposed to play crypto is to be in the drone, gather information, communicate that information to your team, be it by via via voice chat or ping. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if we gave crypto baseline power, like, I don't know, if you had a passive that says, I don't know, he does 10% more damage with energy ammo, just to pick like the dumbest thing I can think of right now. <laughs> um, then that's a crutch. That is something where people would start playing the legend and mostly ignore the drone. Mm. Because a drone is not super satisfying to use. It's a very cerebral, intellectual um, activity. Mm -hmm. You have to know the map. You have to try and think your way into the heads of your enemies and what are they trying to do, where are they going to be coming from, mm -hmm. uh, when should I EMP them. and so So there's a lot of like very intellectual setup and thinking the drone that isn't in the moment satisfied. It's not as satisfying as like grappling across a whole POI and then mastiffing somebody in the head from the air. Right? Like, <laughs> that is like a thing where you're like, yeah. hell yeah, I want to try that every single time mm -hmm. my grapple comes off cooldown, I'm going to be trying for that aerial shotgun. But with crypto, it's like, ooh, I got some interesting rotational information. This choke is not guarded right now. And you're like... Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's great. Maybe it'll help us win the game, but I'm certainly not going to post a highlight video on Reddit <laughs> of me scouting the fact that this choke is unguarded, right? Like it's like um, the the satisfaction inherent in the gameplay drives player engagement, mm -hmm. and when you have a character that has a lot of power without satisfaction, you tend to end up with a character that performs well but is rarely played. Um, mm -hmm. And I think both Crypto and Watson fall into that very same category. They're both very cerebral characters, characters that ask you to think about the game carefully and um, make contributions to the game that are felt negatively. They felt through the absence of mm -hmm. action, by which I mean, you know, this is a safe place to go because your drone mm -hmm. scouted that it's safe. There's no squads nearby absence of action you know people won't be coming in through that door because you set up perfect fences and they won't be throwing grenades at you because they see your trophy there absence of action right so it's powerful but it doesn't feel good in the moment mm -hmm. very interesting uh let's talk about rampar a little bit quickly because we've already kind of gone over her a little bit but she's mm -hmm. super unique in that the play style it we kind of think it's similar to watson and that you're setting up an area to control mm -hmm. at its best uh, but she also has the offensive ability as well, as opposed to Watson not. And she's just so radically different from all these other legends, and not not to mention the passive is the only one that's you know tied to a specific weapon class, which is so unique. So far. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. How do you feel maybe then about... It sounds like she's not at the ideal state of where you would want her to be from what you've said earlier, and you've mentioned changes, come, changes are coming potentially for her. Is this like a soon thing and just how do you feel kind of about that state 
Yeah, the data is pretty uh, unambiguous on her. Mm -hmm. She's the worst performing legend in the game. Um, the uh, buff in Season 7 uh, helped a little bit. Mm -hmm. Not much, honestly. She went up from 4.2 to 4.4. Back down to 4.3 again. Like I said, mm -hmm. <laughs> every mm -hmm. balance change is ephemeral. Um, so I think the thing that's interesting about Rampart is that she is a um, setup character, like Caustic or Watson, but she's a setup character with a positive power payout, right? So while... Rampart and Watson King, sorry, well, Watson and Caustic can people can keep people away from your position. Mm -hmm. Rampart can use her setup offensively, mm -hmm. both by shooting through her amped walls and doing considerably more damage, and by just using Sheila to actually get kills and knockdowns. Right. So in my mind, she should be the most popular um, defensive character. Mm -hmm. She's a defensive character with an offensive payout, um, but that's not the case. And I think a lot of that is uh, down to how conservative we've historically been in, in balancing our new legends. Um, we playtest a lot. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like the biggest struggle in, in finding time to build stuff for the game, for me personally, has been making the decision, the very hard decision, which playtests I can sit out of. Mm. Um, because I want to playtest everything. I want to see what everybody is working on yeah. and, and see all the things that are coming up and then give feedback on them. But that's three hours a day that we playtest out of eight, an eight-hour workday, right? Like, that is that is so much. We do have dedicated playtest teams who just playtest the game. But as a designer, I think there is no replacement. There's no substitute for being in the game and feeling the moment-to-moment uh, -moment gameplay of mm -hmm. what you've made and what other designers have made. Um, so you need to playtest. But even with that amount of playtesting, we are still mostly flying blind because there is no way to emulate uh, what happens when the character goes live, which is millions of people all over the world play the character with a very different goal set. Right? When I go into a playtest, my goal set is... I want to discover things about this character. I want to see how understandable this character is. I want to try to use it in this edge case and that edge case. Mm -hmm. When a character goes live, and especially in ranked, the goal set is, I want to win this game. Mm -hmm. That's it, right? And it's very hard to get people to play with that goal set, to actually truly try to just win. And even if we could... It's hard to get 60 people to playtest the Battle Royale, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's how many people we need. And it's impossible to get that with an even distributional skill. We have people in at Respawn that literally range from Predators to Lowly Bronzes, mm -hmm. right? And if you put those together in a playtest, you don't get any good data on the performance of characters. Yeah. Um, you just can't. So what we need to do is we need to give it our best guess put that live and be ready with uh, rapid follow-up in case we break something. Mm -hmm. and historically, I think we've erred on the side of being too cautious. Um, I didn't want to just like come in and say in my first month of, hey, we should like, <laughs> this this Revenant guy should ship 10 times as strong uh, or, or whatever. So I, I uh, built up my own FPS design sensibilities because I've never designed for a shooter before. Mm. Um, over time and we've had many conversations as a team about where we want the power of new legends to be but then my personal take was hey let's take some risks let's uh push this a little further and i have to say 
on Rampart, I was part of the problem. I was like, ooh, let's let's be careful that you know this this minigun doesn't just kill entire squads right away. Mm-hmm. I think I was we were all too cautious on that. Horizon, we made a very very conscious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, let's ship her strong, and we had last minute buffs to her uh, tactical. The speed at which you go up mm. um, was changed so close to her release that I think we had like one playtest with the new speed. And we were like, oh, that makes ooh, sense. That feels strong. It but felt a lot different from the teasers around the map as well. So that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Ooh. That was the old tuning. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> she used to be a lot. Similarly for the, for the black hole, the initial uh, yank that pulls mm-hmm. you in, when you get caught in the area when it goes off, used to be way weaker uh, and we're like no let's just make this thing as strong as we think we can possibly get away with it and make sure that we have everything um, entered in such a way into the game that we can rapidly change it if need be mm-hmm. fortunately we didn't have to change anything about her yet I don't I don't even have any changes for the we're calling it the 7.2 patch. You don't have to know why. That's a boring bookkeeping. <laughs> Basically, there's only one. So we have the season patches, and then there tends to be the one patch halfway through a season. Mm-hmm. It often comes with a collection event, uh, but that's our only other chance to really ship balance. And I, I'm not tracking anything for Horizon. I don't have any plans to touch her for that patch mm-hmm. because she's fine. She's, awesome. She has a very high win rate, and it's possible Season 8 we're going to look at something like cooldown of a tactical seems a little low mm-hmm. uh, we we artificially kept that low for people to um, experiment with it and learn to use it and then we just left it at that very low level um, and, and shipped it that way so maybe maybe we'll put a little bit more cooldown in there so that she has to think a little bit about when to use a tactical but I don't see that making a huge difference mm-hmm. she has the highest win rate right now but she's tight we actually have a three way tie for highest win rate in the game right now between Wraith, uh, Horizon, and Gibraltar. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. This wow. is a very, very strong. Mm-hmm. No legend previously ever came in anywhere even near that higher than bottom two, mm-hmm. right? Like every legend came in absolutely at the bottom. So with her, we made the choice to ship her stronger. I think that was the right choice. We're making a similar choice, I would hope. Uh, I'm pretty sure, actually, for the next couple of Legends as well, until we break something, which, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this being a life game, breaking the game is just what we have to do. Definitely. All right, so we love playing Octane, and we feel that his kit is very well-defined and balanced. We wanted to go a bit deeper into what you said at the beginning of Season 7 in the dev stream, in that Octane's trio's win rate is not great, but that's okay because his encounter win rate is high. Can you tell us how you go about balancing a legend that is loved by many, but promotes a different playstyle than maybe what the core of Apex seems to be, and that's teamwork? My rule of thumb for good gameplay in a competitive uh, uh, game is anything that makes you feel good about making mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's how I think about it. it. Because mistakes set up the enemy for success. Give mm. the enemy interesting stuff to play around and octane is just uh, a whole bunch of mistakes in one box right like that's the character it's like <laughs> go out and make some mistakes um jump pad into the entire team or <laughs> stim away from your team and pick a 1v3 fight right like that's what octane does and you have fun doing it because mm-hmm. you know speedy boy is fast um he has the fourth lowest uh trios win rate and the third highest encounter win rate so interesting he is the, 
he is the clearest case of an entirely selfish, fun character because he also has the fourth mm-hmm. highest pick rate. He's way up there. Um, people are clearly having fun playing him, and they're not winning a lot of games for their squads. Mm-hmm. But that's okay, right? Like he still wins, right? Like when I say he has the fourth lowest. Remember, I told you there's this whole. Like this, the the two out the two outliers all the way in the bottom, Revenant and Rampart, mm-hmm. and then everything else is tightly grouped. Well, Loba is at 4.8, and Octane is at 4.87, so a 0.07 percent difference to the nearest neighbor there. Um, he is doing all right. He's in that group of win rates where I would like everyone to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that his encounter win rate is super super high, and it doesn't translate to him winning games, which you know, I think that's perfectly fine. In the end of the day, we don't do balance to get all the win rates to 5% or encounter win rates to 50%. Mm-hmm. That is not the job description. We don't get a gold star if all the numbers are right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the job description is to make a game that's fun. Um, awesome. To increase the utility function of fun for everyone in the game. Octane has fun running into the enemy. The enemy has fun getting free kills on Octane. Everybody wins. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. That's perfect, I guess. I like it. I like it, too. You know, let's talk Pathfinder then real quick. He's been Mm -hmm. on quite a journey, you know, since the beginning of the game. And we think his tactical's in a pretty solid spot right now. Everybody seems to be enjoying it. Uh, Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on what the current state of Pathfinder is in comparison to what I think maybe the public perception of Pathfinder Mm. is? (laughs) Yeah. Pathfinder... um always used to be it used to be for the longest time for over a year the wraith and pathfinder game mm-hmm. featuring some other legend <laughs> nobody picks right um that is no longer the case mm-hmm. pathfinder went from third most picked to fifth most picked which is still mm-hmm. it's not bad right uh he didn't lose a lot of win uh, pick rate because again a uh, new legend comes in everyone's pick rate goes down a little bit um the change that we did in Season 7, I think, was an amazing change for Pathfinder because you don't feel the frustration of having a slightly larger hitbox. You cannot tell. There's, there is no way mm-hmm. you as a human being can say, this bullet hit me because my hitbox is five pixels wider yeah. or whatever. So you don't feel that, but the power offset is real. He went from a 5.6 to a 5.2% win rate. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, 5.2 is still very good, right? That's above 5%. So he wins more games than he loses. So he wins more games than would be expected, which mm-hmm. is 5%. Um, he just dropped down from like this super high purge. So I'm looking at the win rate graph, and it used to be this really unhealthy grouping of just like this two, and then as of season five, three legends that are almost at the exact win rate at the top of the graph. That's uh, Wraith, Pathfinder, and as of Season 5, uh, Lifeline. She went all the way up there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and for the longest time, it was just them, and then a giant gap of nothing, and then the rest of the tightly grouped field. Mm-hmm. And now that is a way, way more evenly uh, spread out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the funniest thing is that Gibraltar jumped in there from like 5.2 to 5.6 with no changes whatsoever. <laughs> we didn't touch him. And I don't think it's the audio back on his ultimate because as, mm-hmm. as frustrating as that is and as obviously people working on it, um, it, it doesn't happen often enough to have that, that mm-hmm. level of... Uh, power impact i think it's just it's the new map and just in general mm-hmm. the, the the meta has shifted and 
he's he's jumped up. That'll happen. So I think Pathfinder, the change to the to his hitboxes allowed us to put the fun back into his grappling hook. It allowed me to mm-hmm. massively buff that grappling hook because that is now at one of the stronger states it's been. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's stronger than the 15 second cooldown it used to have, but there are edge cases. I'm happy to you... say that. Like I really am. It is yeah. so good at times right now. Uh, and it's it has some special abilities at this point. Yeah, I've been watching people who main Pathfinder stream on Twitch and I see a lot of people find good uses for the the, the short range grapples mm-hmm. that you know people on Reddit were yelling at me when I said <laughs> that's gonna be a thing. They're like, "Ooh, short range grapples! I want to go long." I'm like, okay, you can still go long, mm-hmm. and it's thirty five seconds. You now have my written guarantee that no matter what you do, it will not be more than a total effective cooldown mm-hmm. of thirty five seconds. I wrote the most brutal checks in there. Like literally, <laughs> no matter what happens, if it's been five seconds since you pressed the button, mm-hmm. we're now setting your cooldown to thirty seconds, and that's it. Uh, yeah. So um, I think that change that affected something that I think would down the line be bad for the game somebody just having this super high win rate which eventually once people catch on to that will distort pick rates mm-hmm. and will make it so that you see that character every single game um, bringing them down without making them less fun I want to say I hope I didn't make Pathfinder less fun for anyone uh, anecdotally it seems Pathfinder remains are pretty happy like I talk to uh, Moki Sniper a lot a German streamer mm who is a Pathfinder expert, a movement <laughs> expert in general, uh, he seemed to be quite happy with the change. Um, and most importantly, like if we wanted to do another power-up change to Pathfinder, like let's say, I don't know, we wanted to give him a real passive, for instance, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have one right now, but it's just like, that's a lot of work, mm-hmm. making a new passive, and it's not the most important thing to do in the game right now. But like if we wanted to do that, previously... At a 5.6, 5.7 win mm-hmm. rate and the high, highest possible, like the second highest, third highest pick rate, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have even contemplated putting more power on the kid. Now that he is in, he is at the top of the tightly packed field, mm-hmm. but he is in that tightly packed field. He's no longer in that little island of outliers. We can actually mm-hmm. yeah. think about putting power back on him. That's awesome. That's really great to hear that kind of internal logic uh for the mm-hmm. changes that's that makes a lot of sense so now and then wraith yeah yeah mm-hmm. now we're at the end of the line you called it <laughs> we're at wraith she's the most popular legend in the game based off of what you've said about the statistics and you know her having a hundred percent pick rate and competitive play um you know it was mentioned in the past that a goal for pathfinder was to bring him in line with bloodhound and crypto is this something that you're trying to do with Wraith and the other offensive legends or are we okay where she's at? Offensive legends lack a um, defining characteristics. Mm -hmm. Recon legends have it, defensive legends have it, support legends sort of. There's only two in the game right now but they sort of have a defining identity. Assault is kind of like none of the above, right? It's like if we don't know what to do with it, I guess it's an assault. (laughs) Everyone Everyone shoots in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's much we could do about making Assault feel more cohesive mm-hmm. as a class because it isn't really a class. It's an absence of class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we'd attack it from from there. Honestly, I think Season 8 we're just going to remove Wraith from the game. 
and there will <laughs> be no more happens. problems with Wraith. See what happens. I'm sure Wraith Banes will understand. Oh They've my. had their time in the Oh my goodness. Yeah, trying to break the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, hey, that one's spicy. That one is spicy. <laughs> that uh, would be... I, I don't know what to do um, with Wraith at the moment um, other than some very obvious things. So I don't want to hit her kit anymore. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've pushed that to the breaking point where it's just barely still fun. Mm -hmm. But the, the extremely long wind-up on her tactical, as much as it was necessary, mm -hmm. because just like getting out of combat like this is, is really not fair to the enemy, mm -hmm. it, it makes the ability... It definitely makes the puts the ability more into the camp of cerebral power rather than yeah. satisfying in the moment mm -hmm. power. Like imagine if there was an ability, if if her tactic was literally press the button, no delay whatsoever, instantly you disappear. That would be that would feel so good to press that button, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we can obviously not not do that. Um, so with Wraith. Uh, I think our approach is going to be very similar to Pathfinder. We're going to take a look at the hitboxes, see mm -hmm. how much uh, wiggle room we have there. With Pathfinder, it turned out we had so much. There were mm -hmm. giant chunks of his model that were outside of his hitboxes, like this this big canister he has on his shoulder, yeah. that entire <laughs> thing, not part of the hitbox whatsoever. Entirely bullet permeable, um, which is... Yeah, it's it's not it's not great. So we had a lot of room uh, to make changes on Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, if you think back to the season seven patch notes, we showed you a picture, a before and after comparison of the hitboxes, and it looks so small, yeah. right? Like it mm -hmm. looks like you could barely tell it. That was a twenty percent increase in hitbox size. Wow. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. The geometry is kind of kind of weird. I mean, you have three dimensions. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that we can find a way to do something similar for Wraith. Mm -hmm. Nothing's guaranteed yet. We haven't started work on that i basically asked one of our um technical uh artist friends colleagues mm -hmm. to take a look at it somebody who actually understands the underlying uh code of how hitboxes mm -hmm. work and understands how to increase them properly so whenever he gets around to attacking the task i will know more he will come back to me and either say mm -hmm. hey we can't do it there isn't any wriggle room here or yeah sure let's just uh blow those hitboxes up so we'll see how that goes my earnest hope is that we could bring her under control with just mm -hmm. hitbox changes and then maybe even like look at ways of making her more in the moment fun mm -hmm. again maybe like find a balance point for her tactical between what it used to be and what it is although the weirdest thing to me is i would have expected people to be up in arms about that change of the tactical mm -hmm. um and barely barely a piece yeah. never brought mm -hmm. up like the way that pathfinder mains hated me for the <laughs> the grapple change um the wraith change is never even brought up in conversation yeah. so i know i just jinxed myself with maybe, <laughs> uh, roughly 200 wraith mains in my mentions but so far it doesn't seem like the biggest pain point but whatever we want to do in the future mm -hmm. right now we couldn't do anything at uh, to wraith that would risk uh giving her more power if we can find a way to bring her power under control through hitboxes, then we can once again think about that. Totally, totally makes sense. I'm so happy we got to cover all the legends. This was an absolutely amazing talk. Um, thank you so much for coming on and setting the time aside. It seriously means a ton to Henry and I, just as diehard, absolute fans of the game, and hopefully our community loves it just as much as we did. Um, if anyone wants to hear kind of maybe your thoughts on Apex or send you some messages and stuff, uh, where's the best place for them to maybe come find you online? 
So I do lurk a lot in the Apex uh, subreddit. Okay. Uh, you will often find me jump into conversations there and reply to stuff there. The other best way of getting a hold on me is on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I am at Daniel Z Klein. That's K L E I. We'll throw it in the description, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you cannot uh, DM me on Twitter. I try to tell people a bunch <laughs> of times, please don't DM me with Apex questions, because if you write me an essay in a DM and I write you an essay back, I've just spent an hour mm -hmm. on something that'll reach one player. That doesn't scale. We have there's more than one person playing Apex mm -hmm. Legends. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but a couple. There there's is. a couple guys. Yeah. Make five or so, ten. <laughs> if you want to ask me a question, ask me just by adding me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Just add Daniel Z. Klein, put your Apex question in there. Um, it has the added benefit that you are limited to 280 characters, <laughs> which I like a lot. Uh, because sometimes a question is actually here is a here's a novel I wrote. And <laughs> I forgot to put a question mark in there. It's it's really useful when we can keep the conversation mm -hmm. short and to the point. Like go in there and go like, Hey, why would you even think about buffing revenant? Mm -hmm. right? like, and then like I can answer you. Mm -hmm. I have data I can point yep. to or other reasons, right? So I'm always down to answer these questions. If I don't get to your, I try to get to every question on Twitter, but it's getting a, it's getting a bit much. So if I don't get to yours, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm doing my best to try and answer people. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It means a whole ton. Awesome. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we get into the rest of our episode, here's a word from our sponsors. The Good Games Podcast is brought to you by Henry and Shay. Hopefully you like those two guys by now. From our success covering Apex Legends, we've sought out to create a new project talking about all good games. If you want to hear Henry and I cover games from Rogue Company to Assassin's Creed, check out the link in the description to hear about all the new good games. Welcome back. Uh, you know, just to give our reactions mm -hmm. uh, to that interview, a pretty... Uh, Pretty landmark opportunity for us here, the third party. I I think it was wonderful. It was. I had a great time. I think we learned so much, and I think we'll be able to apply a lot of what we learned in this interview into future podcasts and such. I made a little list of coming, kind of some big takeaways, maybe that we can just uh, highlight real quick because I thought it was so interesting. One of which being the kind of question and answer style of I balancing. That. I loved that thought so much. It really solidified and made a lot of sense to me in some of the decisions that the team makes and how they go about it. And so I absolutely love talking to Daniel and hearing that uh, being one of the things that they focus on. Yeah, I really liked that as well. And just kind of learning about that internal structure for how they have those conversations mm -hmm. is something I love. Some questions are more important than others mm -hmm. and the strength of their answers uh, really dictates the power of a legend. I, I love that idea. And I know we talk a lot about the amazing ping system in apex and so it was great to see how the ability they have with the ping system influences the balancing for some of these legends and the teamwork and communication that goes into this game it's all related everything is a push and pull uh with all the balancing and it is so great to hear it from someone rather than us theorizing that that is what how it works i guess yeah a lot of things got confirmed for us mm -hmm. you know the position of different legends uh it was nice to hear that Horizon is in a place that they feel comfortable with mm -hmm. and that uh, was intentional tracking anything. And mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It was intentional. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever. Mm -hmm. Nothing's ever finished. You know, we got that with our first question with mm -hmm. Mirage that nobody's ever really finished. So there is no perfect state. 
It's a very, I thought it was a wonderful interview. We learned a ton. Mm -hmm. Just got to see under the hood about Mm -hmm. not only how they think, but also some major figures and statistics that are not public. Mm -hmm. And now they are uh, for us. And so we really feel special to be able to know (laughs) that. And just crazy to learn so much in this episode. Definitely. I think the last kind of cool thing to highlight was the concept of cerebral cerebral versus straight power. That Mm -hmm. was really interesting. And I'm excited to be able to dive into that when we maybe go into mastering the legends in the future and such and kind of being able to explain that reasoning and impact in Legends Kids. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up now with our five-star review questions. If you want a question answered on the show, leave a five-star review with your question. We'll make sure it gets on here and answered. First question, though, coming from Bridges to Ashes. I have a few questions. On average, how much time do you play Apex a week and do you get ever tired of the ranked grind? What is your highest kills in a game as well? Ooh, good question. Good couple of questions there. Uh, you know what? The amount of time that we play Apex really fluctuates. It depends um, on school. It really does. Mm-hmm. If we could, we'd play every day, all day. Mm-hmm. You know, at the peak of summer, you know, probably playing six hours plus a day, uh, yeah. which isn't like too uh, incredible, but we also got the pod and we also mm-hmm. got other stuff. Um, now it, it varies a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, most of uh, some my weeks we'll play you know, like crazy uh, amounts, and then mm-hmm. the other week we'll have a lot of stuff going on. And Henry and I love video games in general, hence the Good Games podcast. And so other games, you know, like COD and such coming out, like cuss into a little bit of time here and there as well. But Apex is still, it's always going to get some hours in on the weekly basis, no doubt. For sure. And to respond to the ranked grind, uh, I think we both really like ranked. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be frustrating when you don't have, uh, you know, a full team. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I'm happy to play ranked all day, every day, if mm-hmm. I have a full squad, because um, I like that kind of that risk and the higher reward. Uh, but I definitely think that it's fair to get tired at losing ranked points. Yeah, we we flip flop back and forth sometimes. We'll play. Yeah, and then it just depends who we're playing with. We're higher ranks than some of our groups of friends, and so we'll play pubs with those guys, ranked with other people. It just kind of depends on who's around, I guess. And then highest kill game, man, you got close to the twenty bomb for the first Extremely time the other day. Close. Oh I had my, amazing opportunity! I'll be honest, like we, I at least I started playing this game. I've never been a big first person shooter game, so Apex for me is the first game I've grinded that was FPS, and so. Like, I wish I'd been as good as I was now at the beginning of the game because I think my high kill games would be a lot better. Yeah. I think a 17 piece, it might be 16. 16 or 17 is my highest kill game. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty dang uh, satisfied with my, you know, my KD is like 2.5 plus right now as well. So I'm feeling good about the the skill level. But getting high kill games is the challenge. And we talked about it with Ashton and some other guys in interviews as well. It really is. And right now I feel like Maybe the best opportunity to get a high kill game is actually in duos, just mm-hmm. because you might see more people that way, and your teammates won't be able to take as many kills because there's only one of them. So I did get close in a duos game, um, but yeah, that's that's what we have to say for those. Mm-hmm. Next question is coming from BHS. Love this podcast. I've been using your tips and tricks for high kill games, and they work. I have almost 1K kills with Wraith. Thank you. Question, what level are you guys? Oh man, great question. Awesome that you're finding some success with Wraith, enjoying the tips, happy to help. Um, 
500 we've been 500 for a while now 500 rounded up to a thousand if they add more levels we were 100 as like at the very beginning of the game hit that cap pretty quickly uh and yeah then we hit 500 pretty quickly once that was released as well so i love the grind and if there's somewhere to you know track where you where you totally are that'd be kind of cool as well uh next question coming from your new guy hey i've been listening for a few months now and you're still great this is something you probably don't hear often, is that I'm a Lobo main, and I know a lot of people wonder what you can do with her bracelet. My tip is at Bonsai, if you're in a bad situation, you can throw it over the side. Also, I use it to get out of the ring, and I was maining her because she was just fun, but her new looting makes her a top-tier legend in my opinion. I would love your feedback on this. Yeah, uh, thanks uh, for thinking that we're still doing a good job mm-hmm. uh, a couple of months later, and hopefully this interview with Daniel gave you a good insight mm-hmm. uh, as to the position of Loba. Um, it's interesting to yeah. hear more about her tactical. I thought that was a really uh, nice insight to hear where she's at and how the ammo change really gave her a significant buff to her win rate. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed by that. Definitely. Well, well said. And last question for today, coming from Johnny C. How do I improve my speed on the game? I am level 50 and my friends call me the grandpa looter and I'm really slow using Horizon and I don't know what to do. Help me. What do I do? It's just time. It comes down to time. The more you play, the more you're going to learn where everything is, the rotations. And, you know, it's just like the more you play, the more you're going to know that I'm picking up these now. And like on this button combo does this. If you want something that might actually increase the speed from like a monetary standpoint, having paddles on your controller, like very minusculely could increase like a little bit of speed but it's mostly just going to be time and familiarity with the game yeah i would say play who you want to play mm-hmm. you know learn take that time but increasing your menu cursor speed mm-hmm. uh, helps a lot that's with a good looting one. speed i think that uh, might be able to help you and then something that i recommend to new players that are kind of feeling like they're being left behind by their teammates which is not a nice thing to do mm-hmm. um but play octane you know, mm-hmm. it gives you that kind of flexibility. It's not as hard as a grapple. It's not as hard as maybe Horizon, but kind of allows you to stim and at least be with the team. Yeah, you're losing some health, but I think it's really important to stay together. So mm-hmm. I think those are our two cents. Yeah, practice makes perfect. Let's get it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Subscribe on Apple Pods, follow on Spotify, leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer it on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to our YouTube channel, Third Party Podcast. Stop by our weekly stream. Check out the Discord via the link in the description below. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Catch you next time. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom, whole squad down. Hey, brother, not